Hello and welcome to Scania Today's Let's Talk AI podcast, where you can hear from AI researchers about what's actually going on with AI and what is just clickbait headlines. This is our latest Last Week in AI episode in which you can get a quick digest of last week's AI news, as well as a bit of discussion between two AI researchers as to what we think about this news. To start things off, we'll hand it off to Daniel Bashir to summarize what happened in AI last week. We'll be back in just a few minutes to dive deeper into these stories and give our takes. Hello, this is Daniel Bashir here with our weekly news summary. This week, we'll look at AI-generated people, the AI talent shortage, EU bans, and how big tech talks about AI ethics. Generated Photos is a company that produces virtual avatars that look just like humans. According to Forbes, by creating millions of people who don't exist, they might just change how we engage with each other online. So far, the company has made over 2.6 million freely available AI-generated photos as well as more for clients. But the industry for synthetic humans extends further, with synthetic influencers like Lo Michela, who have millions of followers and generate millions of dollars for the companies who create them. Other companies such as Reface.ai are working on building a platform where Michael Jordan could sell you a new pair of Nikes in a personal interactive video. Forbes speculates that even we could have our own virtual avatars to interact online with, while personalization online becomes even more personified. Next up, the concern about an AI workforce shortage has become a top national security priority, and the United States sees talent as a key lever to outcompete China. A number of recent proposals aim to grow and cultivate the domestic AI workforce based on that premise. But according to The Hill, there's little data on whether there is an AI workforce shortage and no clear definition of what the AI workforce is. This makes diagnosing the issue and addressing it with targeted policy difficult. Workforce shortages typically come from either a skill shortage or a local talent shortage in a particular area. New research from Georgetown uses an occupation-based definition of the AI workforce and finds that from 2015 to 2019, strong employment coupled with high barriers to entry indeed indicates an excessive demand. The research suggests that ensuring technical competency in AI as well as promoting AI literacy more broadly will be important going forward. As the US pushes for more AI talent, the EU looks to regulate it. The Verge reports that according to a leaked proposal, the EU is considering a ban on the use of AI for a number of applications including mass surveillance and social credit scores. If adopted, the proposal would see the EU take a strong stance on certain applications and set it apart from the US and China. According to a copy of the draft, potential regulations include a ban on AI for indiscriminate surveillance including tracking of individuals and physical environments, and new oversight required for high-risk AI systems such as self-driving cars. Daniel Lufer, Europe Policy Analyst at Access Now, says the descriptions of prohibited AI systems are vague and could allow for loopholes. The regime wouldn't primarily be about big tech, but mostly the lesser-known vendors of business and decision tools who often evade scrutiny. It is not known whether the proposal will be adopted or what changes might be made to it, but it will be interesting to see what the EU does in any case. Over the past few years, big tech CEOs have had to repeatedly appear on Capitol Hill 
to testify about their companies. They have also faced increasing public distrust of their actions, as well as increasing criticism of their AI research. In a recent article for the MIT Technology Review, Karen Howe writes of the new vocabulary tech giants use when they want to let the public know they care about responsible AI development without inviting too much scrutiny. The words how decodes include accountability, or the act of holding someone else responsible for the consequences when your AI system fails. There is certainly a lot of work to be done to make sure large companies pursue good faith measures to develop responsible AI, and understanding the meaning behind their language sure seems like a part of it. That's all for this week's news roundup. Stay tuned for a more in-depth discussion of recent events. Thanks, Daniel, and welcome back, listeners. Now that you've had the summary of last week's news, feel free to stick around for a more laid-back discussion about this news by two AI researchers. I am Andre Krenkov, a third-year PhD student at the Stanford and Vision Learning Lab. I focus mostly on learning algorithms for robotic manipulation and reinforcement learning. And with me is my co-host... I'm Dr. Sharon, a graduating fourth-year PhD student in the machine learning group working with Andrew Ng. I do research on generative models and applying machine learning to medicine and climate. And our first article is from the BBC titled, Europe Seeks to Limit Use of AI in Society. And so uh, Europe right now is thinking about, uh, or rather EU uh, regulations are thinking about limiting where AI uh, can be used, where it might be very high risk uh, when it impacts people and impacts society. Um, and specifically, it's when you know some of these AI systems um, can establish priority in the dispatching of emergency services, for example, or when they determine access to or assign people to certain educational institutes, which we, we've seen before uh, sprout a very spicy um, turn of events, um, also in recruitment algorithms, and overall when it comes to uh, manipulating uh, users. Thoughts on this, Andre? Yeah, this is pretty interesting. We've often discussed uh, issues relating to facial recognition, for instance, where it seems like you know we, we've discussed that there needs to be probably uh, regulation, and um, yeah, this seems like as as often the case, the EU is leading uh, the way in terms of thinking through what that might look like. Uh, it was kind of interesting to me that uh, European policy analyst Daniel Lofer. Uh, had a bunch of tweets about this and he I believe this was like a leaked report actually so it it was an early look um yeah so it seems like you know a work in progress uh there's another note here that apparently uh Michael Veal a lecturer in digital rights and regulation at University College uh London uh discussed and provided some quotes for this article uh, mentioned that uh, there's a clause that will cause organizations to disclose when they're using deepfakes, which is kind of interesting. We've often discussed, you know, the issue of deepfakes, and also he mentioned that this is primarily aimed at vendors and consultants selling uh, AI technology to schools, hospitals, police, and employers. So yeah, I think that's quite interesting that this is primarily for, you know. Um, selling to maybe companies that don't use AI, that don't have AI expertise, uh, this sort of regulation seems to make sense. 
we did also discuss a bit before starting that there was this clause uh, about um, there being uh, some limitations on tech firms who use AI to manipulate users, <laughs> which is uh, interesting because that seems like uh, most big companies these days. So I wonder if you had thoughts on that. Yeah, the word manipulate is really open for interpretation. Obviously, it's a pejorative here. Um, I think that, you know, AI to influence user decisions, that's that's pretty common. Like Uber deciding, you know, like who to match you with and what route to take. You know, those are all decisions. And so it's a matter of what level. And I think I think they're keeping it very open for interpretation because they're going to need that. They don't know how to anticipate you know, what's, what's allowed or not. And so I think that's something that's very difficult, um, to determine in the law. And really it's about like, Hey, we are going to establish this broad law and then we're going to do case studies of, you know, what we actually think, um, and what kind of precedents we actually set in terms of what is reasonable and what isn't. Um, yeah, that makes sense. I think as pointed out by this commentator, it, it is quite, uh, vague and open to interpretation so perhaps it'll sort of get more refined of time uh, one thing i found interesting also in his comments was he mentioned that uh, there's an article uh, here on the establishment of an au database on high-risk systems which would create a publicly viewable database of uh, high-risk systems of ai used in the eu uh, which, again, seems to point to sort of this being a first step in an ongoing effort to track and think about uh, how to restrict AI and um, that sort of thing. Yeah, so as we've said before uh, and discussed other sort of legal initiatives, it seems like people are just starting to figure out what makes sense. And uh, hopefully over the next decade, we'll see it being refined and actually implemented Right, because over the next decade, we still may not see self-driving cars, uh, which brings us to our next article, actually, a spicy one uh, from The Verge. Two people killed in fiery Tesla crash with no one driving. Okay, so this is, sounds pretty crazy. So what happened was no one was in the driver's seat of this Tesla. Uh, one person was in the uh, uh shotgun i believe from passenger seat and the other person was in the back seat and the tesla kind of just crashed into a tree and burst into flames uh, and because of the battery because it kept reigniting the firefighters had to actually use thirty thousand gallons of water um across four hours to put out that fire uh, so kind of a crazy uh, set of events uh you know no one was driving kind of situation and this is just one of 23 autopilot related crashes under investigation um, uh, right now. And so what are your thoughts on this, Andre? I mean, it's kind of crazy. It's happened in uh, Houston. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Certainly, uh, I wasn't aware of this 23 autopilot related crashes. So that's uh, maybe more than I expected. And uh, yeah, further, I guess, obviously the crazy part here is that, you know, the, the car was driving without uh, anyone in the driver's seat. So, you know, that's not supposed to happen. There's a system in place 
to um, make sure that someone uh, supposedly is, you know, uh, having attention over the road. There is a system that uh, measures torque in the steering wheel, but evidently that didn't work or isn't uh, secure enough. And it it makes me wonder why there aren't more active uh, measures. I mean, uh, there certainly have been uh, different uh, paths of research uh, that investigate or or have looked into how you might um, measure driver engagement. So there's like facial recognition, there's uh, eye tracking, and um, given these sorts of crashes and that uh, beyond this, there's actually uh, supposedly YouTube videos of people driving uh, with their eyes closed or even napping. You know, it seems like um, there need to be greater measures for encouraging people to actually pay attention. Otherwise, there's just too much of um, incentive or it's too... Um, kind of uh, attempting to do this sort of thing. And then, you know, that can end tragically, obviously. Yeah, I wonder if Tesla views this as... I wonder if Tesla basically views this as, you know, this is the user being stupid, so therefore it's not our liability as much. Like, why should we be checking for dumb human behavior um th- that being said it's kind of like oh autopilot kind of is over marketing what it is like it's not autopilot uh so it, it's uh it's so tricky here and it is a little bit concerning that um th- there don't seem to be as much there has been pushback on safety um from engineers at tesla and that that hasn't been uh, super welcomed. And so it's kind of a thought of, you know, what, what should we do about this? Um, yeah. Uh, and it's just kind of crazy that people are doing all these things. It reminds me of Snapchat's filter of like speed where you could see what speed you were going at. Um, and (laughs) that was, that was really that's really bad because that, that encouraged people to go really fast on the highway, for example, or drive really fast to get to a certain speed that obviously was speeding. And that's, you know, that's dangerous behavior. And so it's like, how do we make sure that we design our systems such that it doesn't encourage that side of humans where they could actually die? Mm-hmm. Yeah, precisely. Uh, that, this is one reason cited by Google and Waymo for not doing the sort of hybrid approach. Uh, their belief was that people will, you know, inevitably not pay attention. And there has been some research showing that, you know, people have a very hard time paying attention to a road and sort of being ready to take over when the car is driving itself. So there's good reason to worry about this sort of thing and, and, you know, not trust people really with this sort of thing. I do right after this happened or soon after, um, Tesla released their latest, um, uh, vehicle safety report for the first quarter of 2021, which is uh, kind of interesting right after this. Um, the report is kind of suggests that autopilot actually is better in the sense that, um, 
when people are driving uh, themselves, there is uh, an accident per uh, one mile uh, versus, oh, sorry, per 1,000 per uh, 1,000 miles. And then when active safety features are on, the act, there's one accident every uh, 2 million miles. And then with autopilot on, there's an accident for every 4 million miles. So, you know, naively looking at these numbers, it seems like autopilot still decreases the rate of accidents. But... Um, this is a kind of an unfair comparison because autopilot is used more on highways and in, in less complicated driving scenarios. So it's kind of hard to tell really if it does result in fewer accidents or if it's the same when you take into account, you know, the difficulty of driving. Um, it's a hard, yeah, it's a hard thing to un- understand, I think, sort of how much accidents is uh, acceptable given that maybe maybe it does result in fewer accidents overall. Uh, so I think certainly we need more analysis and more sort of informed uh, opinions uh, to figure out if these sorts of things are acceptable or if uh, additional measures are needed to avoid these sorts of things happening. Yep, absolutely. But speaking of something uh, a little less consequential and maybe a bit fun, our next article from Forbes is titled 2.6 million fake faces, AI generated people may be the future of the metaverse, metaverse, celebrity, and perhaps all of us. So this is expanding on something we've talked about in the past. We've talked about how deep fakes are used for creating uh, people for marketing and uh, PR purposes, uh, which is kind of interesting. And now uh, there is a company titled Generated Photos that um, has made um, two and a half or a bit more than two and a half million freely available AI generated photos and and many more for clients. Uh, And there's, this is related to an emerging industry of scene of synthetic humans. So there's, you know, these um, computer graphic animated, um, fully synthetic, you know, not based on any sort of human uh, influencers that go big on Instagram or other platforms. And they actually have millions of followers and then make millions of dollars. So this is sort of compounding that where, you know, we already have these synthetic influencers and um, now we have all these deep fakes who may expand on that trend. Um, Yeah. So thoughts on this one, Sharon? Not unexpected. Um, Kind of have been watching this trend uh, of deep fake photos or or rather just content being um, licensed since I mean, there isn't as much copyright on it. It is concerning that, of course, these models are trained on real people who may not have got given consent because uh, a lot of these, a lot of these data sets, uh, there, there wasn't uh, consent really built into it. And so that, of course, is pretty concerning. Um, I guess that's, that's the main thing I would say. Like, I think a lot of these things are being used and they're like fake, but some of them might actually 
actually look very, very similar to real people um, who are just memorized in the training data. Um, but I could, I could see like the future of a lot of these, a lot of this content being, um, just, just being part of our lives in some ways, uh, and being around us, for example, Lil Michaela, the synthetic influencer. Um, yeah, it, it just, she has been really taking flight, um, on Instagram and, it's easier to use her as an influencer than, than to be one necessarily. So, um, you can't just be anyone and be an influencer necessarily, I guess. So, uh, in that sense, um, it, it is successful as, as a thing. Yeah, I, I agree that it seems like this is the sort of thing that's just gonna, uh, be more and more of a trend. I think it's interesting, um, especially for these applications on advertising, you know, I think for advertising, there's a lot of sort of iteration and, um, they fine tune their approach and have different uh, mascots. And it, it seems like, you know, soon enough, there could be people who specialize in creating just the right sort of personality. And it could be synthetic uh, as opposed to uh, real people, which is uh, often the case these days. Uh, one application that I find particularly exciting personally is uh, this article notes that one of the customers for this company are game developers who populate their universes of characters. Uh, and I think for people who play video games, we've often seen sort of um, limited um, variety in, in video games and I remember uh, a while back, we also had this fun thing where a person made a demo where you could uh, come up to different characters in a video game and talk to them and they would reply yes. with GPT-3. Um, so that I think is, is really kind of exciting and, and seems like almost, yeah, pretty science fiction-y of imagining like at some point we can generate whole worlds with these AI characters who are fully unique and, and can actually carry on fully improvised conversations, which is far beyond what we've seen in video games so far. Yeah. Agreed. And onto a more serious topic. Uh, our last article is uh, titled black women, AI and overcoming historical patterns of abuse. This is an article in venture beat. So after there was a research paper in 2019 that demonstrated uh, commercially available facial analysis tools failed to work for women with dark skin, AWS executives basically started attacking the um, co-authors and started to discredit their study, uh, unfortunately. And um, so now there's uh, a published uh, playbook uh, on the abuse in massage noir playbook. It's what it's called, um, which uh, was published uh, by three MIT researchers um, and discusses basically this uh, spear campaign on these two black women AI researchers. Um, and it basically discusses, you know, not only just like this one instance, but also just the historical uh, backdrop of all of this and how it's just been ongoing. And this is just, you know, this is a manifestation of, of what's been ongoing. Um, yeah. 
So what are your thoughts on this, Andre? And, and did anything stand out to you in this article? I think it's interesting to have this sort of attempt at precisely outlining so this idea of a playbook, right? Because I think uh, activists often kind of recognize these things, but people who don't think deeply about these sorts of issues might not recognize the sort of tactics that people use. And, and people who are, especially in tech, often really take the side of uh, big companies. And we saw that with Google, for instance, where um, a lot of people I saw on uh, you know uh, different websites said, well, what did Timnit expect? You know, when she went again to company and, and basically taking Google, Google's side when um, it was certainly more complicated. And, and you know, I would say uh, it's hard to take a stance that Timnit was not in some part um, the victim and, and was wronged. So, yeah, I think this idea of outlining and, and specifying what kind of uh, techniques are used. So here there's actually steps where... Um, you know, step one is there's a contribution. Step two is uh, disbelief in her contribution that from people who say that the result is invalid. Uh, then there's step three, dismissal, discrediting, and gaslighting. Um, then there is uh, step four, erasure, uh, you know, efforts like deplatforming and exclusion. And finally, step five is revisionism. So, yeah, I think... Having a playbook and having um, this uh, kind of uh, explanation might make it easier for people who sympathize uh, with people who to whom this happens. You know, they can just point this out and kind of um, educate people who might not be aware of these sorts of issues. Yes, and I think it's really important to have something like this out there so that when people do ask for a resource, they know uh, where to look and that there there is something that does exist out there to, to go look at. Um, I think that's super important because then you really have no excuse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, certainly, you know, it would be nice to have more more beyond the sort of explanatory content. We often discuss how um, it seems like maybe just talking about stuff may not be enough, but um, certainly, you know, this is a good first step and it's good for this to be out there. Yes. Alrighty. So um, ending on maybe a bit of a downer note, but uh uh, something important at least not something silly as we sometimes have uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Skynker Day's Let's Talk AI podcast you can find the articles we discussed here today and subscribe to our weekly newsletter with similar ones at skynetoday.com subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to leave us a rating and review if you like the show be sure to tune in next week be sure to tune in next week.